Today's guest is originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the home of many well-known and loved jazz musicians. He plays tenor and barry sax, clarinet, flute, and any other woodwind instrument he can get his hands on. While he is well-known and loved in the local music community and beyond for being a versatile player of many genres, I know him as a killer jazz musician, passionate, generous, and creative with very big ears. He also happens to be a community development consultant who travels the world and a very kind and humble man. Today's guest is Michael Fortunato. In this upbeat episode, we cover a lot of territory. We hear about Michael's first musical memories, his experience as a leader on five albums, the power of friendship and creating community, musicians as community leaders, the power of play and mental health. Welcome to Meaningful Musical Conversations, where words are music, hearts are melodies, and harmony is our vision. I'm Jill Meunier. I'm Daniel Townsend. Thank you guys for tuning in today. I have a gentleman to my left on the couch this morning by the name of Michael Fortunato. <laughs> hello. Yes. Hello, hello. Hi. Yeah. How are you Jill, doing today? Daniel, it's great to be here. Absolutely. Thanks, for, thanks for being here. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you. Yes. My pleasure. This is great. I'm looking forward to some, some, some meaningful musical conversations, which oh, will be great. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, let's start it off by actually just um, telling our audience a little bit about what you do, what instruments you play, and uh, what you're currently up to. Well, I, I'm, I'm kind of a, um, what's the technical term? A hack. Uh, I have a uh, a bit of a <laughs> technically. <yeah. laughs> I don't technically, know about yeah. that. <laughs> no, no, no. I have a uh, um, uh, you know I'm, I'm I'm sort of a sort of a woodwind playing hired gun, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean that you know I as, as sort of a badge of honor. I I, I like to um, um, I play uh, most woodwind instruments. Uh, so you know um, was mainly started out as a clarinetist, um, but I play pretty much any clarinet, any flute, any saxophone. Um, I can, you know get by on double reeds and uh, and and play, you know, a lot of auxiliary woodwinds too. I mean, any kind of, you know, flute, whistle, ocarina. Um, and, and it's great because that, that gives me the opportunity to play with some really terrific um, uh, musicians and really, you know, um, I love variety. So um, it, it, it's wonderful to be able to support some, some true greats that are out there. Mm-hmm. And um, really, I'd say my, my, my current and past playing has just sort of run the gamut. I've played with... You know, dozens, if not hundreds, of different groups. Um, um, done sessions, and I, I can't even count how many studios. And uh, it's uh, it's just been it's been wonderful. And I've I've kind of hung behind the <laughs> scenes a little yeah. bit, and that's that's great. It's been really great. Works for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. yeah. You know, it's interesting. You say we were hanging, you were hanging, <laughs> hanging behind. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you got audience you don't Joe, know, but we've just been laughing like uh, extremely yes. uh, <laughs> heartily. Three, three, I have three minutes of recorded laughter. Yeah, it's uh, Jill's laughing because she knows I'm really secretly a ham, <laughs> and, and so this is you know, and, and I love to have fun with with mm-hmm. music and with with 
interviews as well. Yes. So. <laughs> oh my God. So you know, I found this. I found this little quote on your uh, something that I actually just I read this stuff you know about you, and there was so much information that I didn't know about you. Yeah. And what I you, you have this little blurb. It says, mm-hmm. "A lover of spontaneity and versatile player of many diverse styles, Michael enjoys meeting, playing, improvising, and entertaining with musicians under just about any circumstances." Uh, well, I love that. That's really. That's really. I take that as a huge Beautiful. compliment. Mm-hmm. Um, a huge compliment because um, for me, it's all about improvisation. I love to improvise and I love to improvise with others. Mm-hmm. Um, so spontaneity is the key. I mean, you know, you get some, um, you know, you hit more, I think you hit more clunkers when you're playing improvised all the time, but you also can hit greater heights in terms of the amount of um, emotion and energy. Mm-hmm. And, and it's all about the energy of other people. You know, it's really, it's really about the folks that you're playing with um, that 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 kind of take you to those places uh, that are sometimes unexpected. And it's just that to me, that's the love, that's the excitement, that's mm-hmm. why I mm-hmm. love being a musician, and why I also kind of like being, you know, a bit of a free agent too, because you get to, you know, you get to play with so many great folks and. Mm-hmm. And you can also be sometimes that that person that brings people together mm-hmm. too, you know, yeah, that absolutely. don't normally play to it, you know. And I, I, I can say, oh, I was just playing with such and such last week, and they are an incredible speed metal player. And I know that you love classical music that puts people to sleep. Let's put the two of you together <laughs> uh-huh. yes. and see what happens, yeah. you know. And it's just it's weird the combinations Give that people can, heart attacks in their sleep. Yeah, <laughs> that idea. was not to say that classical music puts people to sleep. I'm just saying the type of classical music that puts people <laughs> to sleep, you know. Um, you know, so, but it's, it's really, uh, it's really just, it's a great opportunity sometimes <clears throat> to just, you know, to, to be able to do some community building and mm-hmm. bring people yeah. together and, um, uh, you know, make friends. Yeah. Yes. Well, that, yeah. totally. you know, that's what I've just seen about you since you've come into our town and is that you play with so many different people, so many different types of people, <clears throat> different musicians, and you are able to just, like I saw you performing the other night with, was it French Oak Gypsy Band? Mm which is now called Banjango. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and you got up there on stage and with your clarinet and you just, I mean, killed it. Well, thank you. you. Know, um, yeah, Thanks. and I've, I've just seen you improvising with so many different types of musicians, inserting yourself in, in uh, just many, many different circumstances yeah. uh, because you're really actually out there a lot as well and just such a huge uh, contributor to creating community in you know in our little Sonoma County area I love how you're so into community building and I have these other questions multitude of questions I want to ask you I'm really kind of curious about your whole um thing your passion for community building because I see that not only in the way that you are with music and musicians but also with other work that you do and I'm wondering if there's like a parallel there Oh, it, it it it's so parallel. It's almost the same thing. And and thank you very much. It's a very kind thing to say. Um, you know, for for me, you know, I live a double life, <laughs> and and it's it's great. I love mm-hmm. my double life. I mean, it's exhausting and it's really crazy and it's it's hard to, um, you know, it, it it's often misunderstood. I think possibly, but it's 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 you know very much a part of who I am. But you know, in, in my in my day job. Um, yeah, I, I have a, a firm that does community and economic development work, particularly in places that are really struggling, like mm-hmm. cities and towns. And, 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 you know, we do work worldwide. You know, I have two other business partners and we started this firm about two years ago. 
Um, but my whole, you know, sort of sort of academic and formal background and credentials are all, you know, are all really in in the community and economic development space. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's and that's a very very kind of a specific field. A lot of folks don't you know, aren't really familiar with what community developers do or what economic developers do, or certainly what the combination of the two do. And that's okay. That's a, that's a, that could be another discussion mm-hmm, for another mm-hmm. time. But what's, um, to me, uh, you know, I, I go into a lot of communities that are, are struggling, long story short, and, and these places that are having a tough time, I notice that... Um, a lot of times they're looking for um, they're looking for quick solutions that are very specific. You know, they want to grow their communities. They want to stop the bleeding, stop people from leaving, stop businesses from leaving. Um, and they're really looking for ways to sort of um, revitalize themselves. But what I what I often notice first thing is that they're taking a very kind of textbook and procedural and you know what we might call a transactional approach to mm-hmm. doing these kind of things. You know. What I have always believed is that musicians are some of the most natural community builders on the planet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I grew up playing a lot of jazz music, and I know both of you are jazz musicians, and so this is, you know, this is very natural to you too. But the, the, the one thing that's always fascinated me is how I could, you know, I could call up a piano player, a drummer, a bassist, uh, you know, that I've never met before and we could have a quartet mm-hmm. and we could sit there and I could say, okay, you know, let's do, you know, Mr. PC and B flat one, two, one, two, three. We're going to kick off the tune and um, we're all going to take solos. We're going to figure out even without communicating it when the solos happen. We'll probably figure out that we're going to trade fours before we go back to the head mm-hmm. and then we're going to end together. And I would love to just ask a crowd, like how long do you think it took us to rehearse that? We never did, right? And I mean, that's the yeah, amazing thing about jazz musicians. Yeah. It's like, you know, jazz musicians are incredible because they they know all of their knowledge is at the meta level. They don't study what to play. They study how to play together. And and to me, that's the that's the entire field of community development right now. How there. to play together. How yeah. to play together. How to work together to get things done. And mm-hmm. it's just... You know, and 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 that that relies on relationships. It relies mm-hmm. on trust. It relies on reciprocity, and it relies on also having a really good ethic. Which mm-hmm. jazz musicians—that's the first thing you learn. You learn the manners. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> manners, yes. and when it's okay to break them, and when it's yeah. like funny to break them, or yeah, like when it's totally. okay to break the rules. But yeah. but even that's a rule. You know. Yeah. 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 Other people have different manners too. In mm-hmm. jazz, you know, Absolutely. some people like <laughs> true. Know, well, like stepped on it all, and then you know, others are. More playful. It's just kind of like everyone's got a different, I guess, set of manners. It's just what I'm yeah. vibing on. What's neat is that jazz musicians seem to have this incredible, um, this incredible ability to just sit down with other musicians and kind of catch their vibe within 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you, like, you could sit down and you could say like, like, oh, yeah, these cats are, they are straight edge but they're good straight edge. So let's, you know, let's, let's keep it in the, let's keep it in the lines tonight. You know, mm-hmm. let's do it, but let's do some real innovative playing within those lines. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, sometimes you sit down with people and you're like, these guys are nuts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. they're, they're crazy. I don't even know what they're doing. What time signature is this? Okay. <laughs> rules are out the window. Let's just, let's just, you know, let's, let's, let's make it free. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, you know, that, that, that kind of, but, but the, the key there is that it starts, and maybe this is the great thing about jazz, it starts with listening. Mm-hmm. That's the number one thing. The biggest compliment you can give a jazz musician is that they've got, they've got giant ears. Mm. 
and uh, you know they listen so well, and they can work with anyone, and they can work with anything. And I think that is a that is a brilliant compliment you can give to another person. Michael, um, you are right now talking about yourself, in my humble opinion. Well, I mean, really kind of you. Thank seriously, you. I mean, Michael has the biggest ears. <laughs> you, I mean, you have like been downstairs with me here and played stuff, and I just, I am continually amazed at how you need no music, no charts, nothing in front of you. Um, it's just, yeah, and you're so innovative and creative. I. I can't help but to praise you a bit here. Um, kind of you. Thank you. <clears throat> yeah. I appreciate that. I can say the same about you, Jill. Oh, gosh. Absolutely. Well, I'm 100%. working on it. Thank you. Yeah, so this, this idea of play involved in community building. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't happen enough, honestly. I think a lot of communities that are really... You know, they're 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 it's seen seen almost as a planning activity. You know, like we're going to plan to get things done, and then we're going to follow a rubric. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a place for that. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you if your you know local politicians came out and said, you know what, we're getting rid of all our plans. That's it. They're all going out the window. I mean, yeah. like they <laughs> would not be around uh, next yeah. election day. You know, right, I mean, right. that's that's it. But. At the same time, I think it's sometimes done so much to the detriment of having play and spontaneity and creativity be involved that it actually drives people away from the process because everything feels so, you know, kind of dry and mm-hmm. prosaic and mm-hmm. just, you know, ugh, like, oh, we have to go to a public meeting to talk about our community. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and folks are yep. just, you know, it, it feels like an obligation rather than something you want to do. Because mm-hmm. I think about community, I'm, you know, the first thing my mind turns to is either like a really groovy picnic or like, uh, you know, hanging out with my jazz friends or mm-hmm. my other music friends and like jamming, you know? Yes, totally. That's, Absolutely. That's what it means to me anyway. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I'm thinking about what makes uh, gigs fun for you. Oh. <laughs> Great people, great musicians, and great crowds. Great crowds. Mm. I think great crowds are it. Say more. What do you like about crowds? What do you call great great crowds? Great clouds. Great clouds. I like the bunny clouds. <laughs> <laughs> and my next album, Great Clouds, was inspired <laughs> by. Um, I yeah. was thinking, actually, um, I like my double life. When you said that earlier, that would be a great album. Ooh, double yeah. life's a good one. Or a TV show. I like mm-hmm. my double life. I like, I like my double life. Yeah. I like that. That's cool. really cool. Yeah. That would be a good one to like, you know, do the whole album. You just, you know, you play it once and then you just overdub over yourself. Right. But you're playing like totally different stuff. Not even up related. There. <laughs> yeah. That would no, be very right. Nice. Non sequitur. Great, great separate, but kind of not the greatest together, but whatever. <laughs> it's, it's a, it'll be a great album to just, you know, I'll, you know, music for annoying people. Um, <laughs> yeah. <it would> be <laughs> so, but music can do that. It can do anything. I mean, mm-hmm. it can bring people together. It can also really annoy you too. It's oh, really yeah. great. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, yeah, so <laughs> no, I've forgotten the crowds. Question. Oh, yeah, crowds. Crowd. Great clouds. Uh, <laughs> um, great crowds are, when I'm, when I'm out there playing, I, I'll, I will admit I am the, I am the, I get almost all of my energy from the crowd. Totally. Um, even though I'm a supporting player, um, I'm, I'm a total ham. I, I love to get. I love to get. I'm. I'm an entertainer. You know. I love to get in front of people. And and I'm. I'm. You know. I like to be showy and and a, and a bit goofy and whatever. And and you know. It, it it's all about. 
you know, it's all about knowing when to do that. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, when you're playing with other people, you know, but I, uh, I like to get out there and innovate and work with crowds and be, be innovative with the stage show as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, that, that really pops when you have a crowd that's responding to you. Like it's, it's just, it's the same thing. Like yep. if you're a comedian and you tell a joke. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. You know, um, and absolutely nobody laughs. It takes the winds straight out of your sails. You have to recover from yes, something like that. Yes. You know, whereas right. it's the same thing with a, you know, when you play a really great idea and people are like, mm, I think I'm going to go get another beer, you know, and they start walking away and yeah. whatever. It's like, Kills oh. your mood, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a very big yeah. energy system between players and crowds that yeah. one gives and one takes and then it's received the other way around. Like, discontinuous. It keeps building up the show. Like, if people are listening and people are engaged, you'll play more, you know, engaged and it just keeps going back and forth. It totally raises the bar. Like, as Absolutely. you're going. Oh yeah. And especially if you've got a, you know, if you have a really engaged crowd that's also relatively large and they're really engaged. Mm-hmm. I mean, those those moments can be um they can be downright nutty in a good way. I mean, like, you know, that is um, you know, I look back at all the times that I've I've pushed my stamina to levels that that I didn't even really think were possible for me myself as a player. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm thinking like, well, I can only play up to level, you know, level 7.5 and here I'm, you know, I'm peaking at 11 or 12, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you I have know? witnessed that. I have witnessed that. Yes. It gets there. You know, you can, and maybe you both agree. I mean, it, it's um, a great crowd can take you, sort of like a great personal trainer can take you, you know, sort of beyond your limit, comfortably past your limit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I've had those moments too as a woodwind player where it's like, you know, I, I get done and I think like, you know, like what tastes salty? And oh, here my lip is bleeding, you know, <laughs> um, you know, and it's it's just like, oh my goodness gracious. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I have to ice my lip for three days because mm-hmm. it's so, um, um, you know, the level was so intense and you're sore the next day. And, um, but but I don't think crowds even recognize that the gift they give to musicians um, in the form of that energy. Yeah. Like for me, the hardest thing to do, uh, you know, and I, I do this in my day job a bit too. You know, a lot of times I'll, I'll give, um, um, yeah, I'll put together webinars or I'll put together, you know, different kinds of, you know, media. Well, when I'm just staring at a camera, it feels so sterile. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like, you know, I'm just looking for somebody to say like, oh, that was really good. Congratulations, yeah. that was nice. And you totally. know, when you get nothing, you know, it's like you could come up with a really great joke, you know, and you tell that joke and then the camera's just sitting there with that little light. It doesn't care, yeah. <laughs> it does not care, no, no. So it's like, it's just like, it's just like a really, you know, it's like some of the really mild crowds I've had before <laughs> where they just <laughs> didn't react. Yeah. Well, you know, that brings me to another kind of thought. Um, what about musicians were uh, on stage and people um, are maybe clapping and, you know, they're showing their enthusiasm. Yeah. But nobody on stage acknowledges anything, you know, after the song. And um, how do you feel as an audience member when nobody, like, looks up or smiles or nods? Just a... Well, you're, you're, it's like electricity. You're, you're, you're killing the circuit, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Agreed. you're actually, uh, that's one sure way, I think, to, to kind of kill audience participation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is to navel gaze too much. You know, if you're just kind of looking down and, and it's one thing if it's part of your shtick, like if you can make it funny where it's sort of like, you know, you go up to the microphone and every time you go up to the microphone, it's like, I'm, 
this is this is a song. Yeah. <laughs> and then you play, you yeah, know, right, and then you right, play. Right, right. You know, yes, I mean, it's yes, like, yes, okay, yeah. this is, you know, this, these people are ridiculous and it's entertaining. But but I think if it's if it's done in a way where you're not even kind of noticing that there's a crowd there, um, it's very hard to get mm. momentum. Just like it's very hard to get electricity in a circuit that's broken. Mm. You can't, you know, it's yeah, not going to flow. That's my experience yeah. as well, yeah. Yeah. I'm just curious. Yeah, what do you think? I mean, like, you know, what are some of the best crowds you've played for, both of you? I just told you about the Three Disciples show the other day. I yeah, was, I we haven't had a crowd like that in yeah. a long time. Mm-hmm. It was a small place, but yeah. maybe 20, 25 people in that room at the most. Yeah. Uh, but they were super engaged. They're right up next to us, like front center, you know, like mm-hmm. we're standing right in front of them, basically. Like I could probably reach my arm out and touch them. Um, and they were just super engaged. And every song they were like, they showed they listened, basically, yeah. which at bars doesn't always happen. Mm-hmm. So it was cool. I guess right. part of that's probably because the um, stage was kind of separate from the bar, which is helpful. But and because you guys are really good, <laughs> so, so there you go. <laughs> They're checking it out. Yeah, it's great. Of fun. Yeah, and then yeah. everyone came up afterward. That's always the fun part is like yeah. communicating with the people that you know were there for the whole show. Yeah, and just having conversations with them outside and like getting to know them a little bit too. Mm-hmm. That is usually a lot of fun for me. Yeah, I really enjoy that part. That, yeah. That's that's the community build right there. Yeah. I mean, you know, as soon as you know, when you get when you recognize that your music community spans beyond just the musicians that you know, and it's like it, it is it is other other. Fo- I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, you know, it's one of the first questions I ask people when they come up after a show. Like, do you play or do you mm-hmm. sing or do you are you a musician? You know, they say, you know, no, 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 no. But I'm a, I'm a lover of music, and a lot of times they'll put it aside. Like, you need us too. I'm like, of course we do. Absolutely, mm-hmm. we do. It's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, if you're a lover of music, um, I think it's just as important as being a musician because you've got the receiving end, you've got That's the right. good ears, you know what's up, you know what works. Um, some of the best feedback I've ever gotten on um, whatever musical. Mm-hmm. Uh, product, so to speak, that we were putting out, um, and on my own playing, it's just has been from folks that weren't musicians at all, and mm-hmm. you know they just nailed it. They they knew exactly what could have made been made better. Or they mm-hmm. heard things that we didn't even hear, and that's really valuable. Yeah, it's really valuable. Yeah. Mm. Thank you for so, saying that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So glass up to all you, <laughs> oh, totally. all you music yeah. fans out there. I mean, my goodness, you know, our hats yeah. off to you because it's. Absolutely. You know, you make you you give us you give us meaning. You give exactly. us a reason to to do what we do. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. For me, I was thinking sure. the other night I was um, playing somewhere. I was the you know uh, the sub for a piano player in this quartet, mm. and um, there was somebody just sitting close by in a in a booth. And it was the end of the night, the last tune of the night. Mm. And in fact, uh, we were playing Mr. PC. And, oh, funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, was it in B flat? <laughs> yeah. It, it was. Oh, wow. You called that. And Mr. So, PC, I think, it, I think it kind of belongs in B flat, kind of. Yeah, yeah right? Yeah. It's in exactly. C, right? Maybe and, it was. I think it was. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, you know, and and um, I it was the end of the night, and I was feeling good, and so I just there and there were there was this little table nearby, and and they were actually just like really listening, and um, it just felt so great. So I I ended up taking like a bunch more choruses uh, on that tune, and uh, I just found myself just you know letting go and and doing kind of a Michael Fortunato, which is like just <laughs> that go. passion yeah. and the, you know, bombastic playing. <laughs> and yeah. um, it was it was just a blast. And so that's kind of how that quality of listening um, 
you know, it, it just really, it, it affects us. So we really, really, really give shouts out to all of you who uh, yeah. love music and totally. listening. Yeah, I mean, otherwise we'd be stuck in our garages practicing mm-hmm. with just our bandmates, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah. But for the rest of our lives, I don't know. <laughs> I want people to hear what we're doing. Absolutely. You know? yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and it's great too, because, um, um, you know, I think, I think in terms of, in terms of the, in terms of building the community, in terms of actually like, you know, it, it's, it's great when you find that you have, um, people that keep coming out. And the first question I want to ask is like, you know, who else can you bring along? It's not just that we're trying to build a fan base, but you know, when, when, when people get a sense that it's, it's not just trying to get more fans, trying to get more people in the door, you want people to be part of your community. Yeah. Um, I think that hits people on a totally different level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that way you're, you're building relationships then you're, you're really getting to know folks. Mm-hmm. And I've seen musicians that have taken both tacks. I've seen musicians that have been very, you, they're out there trying to get people to be part of their community. They're looking for friends. Mm-hmm. They're looking for people that share the same ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and my goodness, you know, I mean, these are the kinds of, these are the kinds of musicians that, you know, they haven't played a, a venue in two years. They walk in, they still know people on a first name basis. Um, that's, truly incredible and those are the kinds of people that are going to keep bringing their friends out again and again and again mm-hmm. versus musicians that are like you know they're just trying to get headcount. And, and there's something about that that i think is it's kind of like playing for the camera it's a very different approach it's mm-hmm. like you're you know you don't have that sort of personal connection with people that you could get otherwise. Mm-hmm. So so really when you have, you know, back to your question, Jill, about what happens if the band is kind of looking down at their, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. looking at their shoes the whole time <laughs> and checking out the set list. And it's like, you know, that's a, it's, it's just a missed opportunity to build a relationship yeah. with others. Yeah. And that's really, you know, to me, I, I feel like that's, that's what's been the most rewarding thing about music. Mm-hmm. It's certainly, you know, it's, it's not... Um, I mean, you play at some cool places, but what makes them cool places are the people you meet there. Yeah, oh, I totally agree. Yeah. And you know, one thing I I love um, I love house concerts. Mm-hmm. You know, we have Ernie Shelton's house concert nearby, and I have found that uh, you know I've been going there for a number of years, and there's a regular crowd there at those house concerts. It really is a community building. Thing. You know, you see the same people and um, and then you also have a, ta- uh, a chance to kind of get to know people, but the musicians uh, during breaks, even beforehand, sometimes they're down there talking. Uh, and actually, yeah, that's how I've met some really cool people. Dina DeRose, I met her three years ago at Ernie Shelton's house concert. And um, it's, yeah, it's all about the relationships and totally agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. It's one of the easiest things you can do as a musician, too, you know, to say howdy. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and it's also kind of interesting because I think, I don't know about you guys, have you, have you noticed that sometimes musicians are shy? Mm-hmm. Like, depending on what instrument you play, you know, some of us are a little more internal and quiet. Um, so that's, so maybe some people aren't as comfortable socializing, but um, they get their social needs met, too, by playing with other musicians and performing and being able to exchange energy in a nonverbal way. Yeah. Have you ever noticed that? Like there are some of the most 
wild and crazy performers. I mean, folks that are like, you know, that, that are like, you know, they're, they're, you know, these, these, these are the folks that would like, you know, they'd rip a guitar in half on stage and stuff yeah. like that and whatever. And they're, you know, dancing around and just being, you know, crazy people. They're like, like you know, could you be you, Daniel? what's up St. <laughs> Louis, you know, right, that kind totally. of thing. And, 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 and then you meet them off to the side and they're just like, I am. <laughs> I'm Tom. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. it's 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 funny. It's it's, it's just true. it's yeah. it's really interesting. There mm-hmm. there are a lot of folks that I think you know music becomes it, it's such an empowering outlet. Yes, um, you know some of the greatest rock stars that I've known personally. You know, I'm not talking about great rock stars like everybody knows them rock stars. They're, I think they're great because they're great people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And they're great performers. Um, but some of the greatest rock stars I've known personally. I mean, they are sometimes the the most shy. Mm-hmm. Uh, people off stage, and um, I find that to be really incredible. Yeah. I, I see a great totally. sort of wisdom and humility in that, mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah. Um, mm. you know. I, I'm I'm very extroverted. If you couldn't tell, <laughs> I'll talk to anyone about yeah. just about anything. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> what are we talking about? French fries? I love French fries. French fries <laughs> yeah. How do we get on this topic? Uh, all right, <laughs> you know, it For doesn't sure, matter. Yeah. <laughs> well, French fries are good. <laughs> oh, what are we talking? Oh, photosynthesis. Oh, I love photosynthesis. That's great. Um, you know, but but it's it's uh, it's interesting because you know I I have to play the opposite role sometimes. You know, it's like um, you know I'll be very extrovert and I can be very hammy and kind of a goofball. Um, at the same time, you know, a lot of times when I get on stage and I'm supporting other musicians, you know, it's my role to be uh, in the background mm-hmm. and and to play really legit and play really seriously, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and um, um, you know, even though my personality is kind of opposite of that, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, you know, just, you know, I like to, I like to have a kind of an overt good time mm-hmm. yeah, and it's yeah. really uh but but sometimes it's it's really amazing for me too to be able to play like you know i get that kind of rise out of classical music mm-hmm. sometimes you know where it's it's like you're um you know i'll pick up the clarinet and i'll play i'll play through like i don't know something something not even too complicated like like yeah. mozart Absolutely. um and just being able to nail some of those runs and just do it very cleanly and precisely, and you know, because you know Mozartian clarinet is very clean and precise, um, it, it's uh, you know, it's 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 a thrill unto itself, and it's a very interesting like, it's like wow, that felt so unlike what I normally do, and yet it was great. It was like really neat, you know? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Well, I see you as being such a versatile, so flexible, and and versatile in how you are socially as well as musical musically. Um, I've watched you at community meetings because we have Balanced Breakfast meetings. If anybody doesn't know what that is, Balanced Breakfast meetings started by Stefan Aronson in San Francisco. And um, you actually encouraged our wonderful Josh Windmiller to start Balanced Breakfast in this community. Um, and But anyway, I have watched you just um, sit and be quiet and observe a situation um, you know, where there's some serious talk going on before jumping in. And I love that, that there's this kind of quality of awareness. It's not, you you are able to see what's needed in the moment um, and what's wanted and also being tuned into what you're wanting to, to express. And, you know, that level of flexibility, I love it. Um, it's powerful. Thanks. Yeah, it's really, I, I got to hand it to Josh for, for taking that leap to actually, you know, 
make balance breakfast happen he um, and and a few other people have been talking about it for a long time mm-hmm. and I know um, it was it was myself and, and my business partner Bruce Balfour we um, uh, we really we really gave Josh a hard time and we're like you know <laughs> like oh man we should do this you'd be so great at that and, and you know it, it was really funny because he's a very natural community builder too you know gets up in front as a facilitator and it's just like you know it's like he's been doing that his whole life um, you know that, that kind of thing which we as community developers you know try Train for, and I know there's several other people in the community, and I would bet, I would bet that um, there is a uh, there is a whole hidden cluster of really natural community building people within our music community because mm-hmm. that's what they do so well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just it's just like falling off a log for for a lot of the musicians in the community. Um, but you know, when I go to those meetings, um, and, and I feel bad, I've been traveling for the past several, I've just been, oh, mm. I've been, I've been so delinquent. Um, and by the way, there is no breakfast at balanced breakfast meetings. <laughs> yeah. For those of you not familiar with balanced breakfast, yes. balanced breakfast is a meetup. It's just basically, yeah. um, breakfast is optional for yes. you non-breakfast eaters. Mm-hmm. You know, you can sit there and just be if you like, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Mm-hmm. But sometimes that's the best thing to do because, um, you know, I, I really enjoy learning about what other, you know, what other people in the community are doing. And, and you, you gain a really, really good awareness. Um, you know, and I started to realize, you know, you, you start to realize really fast, like, there are some very, very interesting things going on in the community. Um, now, this is Sonoma County. Sonoma County's got a pretty well-developed music ecosystem. And, and you know, to the point that I'm, I'm very impressed with, with what, you know, the quality of the musicians here, um, some of the stuff they come out with, the level of innovation that you see kind of just, you know, just, just you know, fall into a friend's show and you're going to see something innovative. Generally speaking, it's really amazing. Mm-hmm. That 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 said, I think there's also a lot of people and a lot of communities that are they're underexploring. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you mean by that? Well, they're underexploring what their musicians can offer to their broader community. Mm-hmm. You know, so so, and this is a message that I've I've sort of tried to push at Balance Breakfast a little bit is that you know you can be. I think we can see some people as being leaders in the music community. I would love to see the music community take the next step and see the arts being a leader in the community period, end of story. Mm-hmm. You know, like like musicians actually have, you know, actually leading the charge in terms of um, developing really great ideas. Um, now are you talking music ideas or things that are needed in the community that have nothing to do with music or I think it goes all the way mm-hmm. down to things that are have nothing to do with music at all um, gosh I wish I had oh I heard this <laughs> wonderful story it was like you know it was and I wish I had the specifics usually I have pretty good recall of this stuff but um, there was this city and, you know, they had been trying to deal with, like, reinventing this really bad intersection for a long time. And it was like a bad pedestrian intersection. You know, it's like, you know, people are getting run over yeah, and yeah. cars are crashing into each other. And, you know, like, you know, it's like a movie. You know, the fruit stand gets overturned mm-hmm. and, you know, <laughs> all this stuff. Apples going everywhere. Um, yes. Uh, so what happened is they gave it to city planners again and again and again. And it seemed like it seemed like everything that, the city planners came up with it just was a different flavor of not working right 
So then somebody said, you know what? What happens if we just give this to a bunch of artists? And what's interesting is that the artists reimagined the entire city block Whoa. and it was fantastic <laughs> and it worked well and you know because artists are again artists and especially musicians too are natural community builders they're natural adapters and they're natural visionaries mm-hmm. it's almost definitional to what we do right. so you have to um you go into those kind of situations and i think the artistic brain is just mm-hmm. totally underexplored in terms of what it can offer yeah. to the broader society mm-hmm. beyond just creating great art yes boy that's something to think about yeah. yeah, I'm gonna I'm That's gonna chew on that. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. I'm gonna do I'm some city planning there. when I get home. <laughs> but but the funny thing is, you'd probably be a fantastic city planner in a way if you if you I would say if you paired up with technical people that mm-hmm. that are skilled in the tech. You know, I I believe any planning department um, would be better off to have artists in their midst. Mm-hmm. Um, just as sometimes we artists could really use a detail-oriented technical yeah. person around, you know, and I know I am definitely in that category. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> He's yeah. our tech person. Planning, organizing, and timeliness, not my strengths for sure. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best with those. I'm trying, trying harder every day, but yeah. Me too. <laughs> Well, you seem to accomplish an awful lot yeah, it's, <laughs> in just, your life. Yeah. Just keep running. Pretty amazing. There's an old Chinese proverb. I love it. It says, um, chance favors those in motion. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that. I think it also means something as an artist, too. If you're, you know, if, if, if you're, and, and some people, you know, they really kind of, you know, they've got their repertoire and they, they really kind of focus in on that repertoire. And, and they want to get really deep with it. Um, honestly, I think if you just if you just keep going, mm-hmm. keep putting stuff out there, you know, it doesn't even have to be new originals, but just like keep trying new things in new ways yes. all the time, you'd be amazed what pops. Yeah, something mm-hmm. will stick. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. You also have to be kind to yourself when um, things it don't work. Because that will happen a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. yep. That good old self-compassion is uh, mm. invaluable. Absolutely. Essential. For our mental health, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. And speaking of mental health, I mean, this is such a it's such an issue, I think, for artists and musicians. And um, you know, I think a lot of us have struggled with depression and anxiety, addictions, all kinds mm-hmm. of things, loneliness. Um, yeah. Um, so anything you want to say about that? Well, about about so are well, we talking about within well, the music community? Or well, within? yeah. If you see that as well, um, that you know maybe what uh, just your thoughts about that? What contributes to that? And uh, maybe yeah. I don't even know really exactly what I'm asking. You, you know what's funny? Uh, tell me what you think about this. I heard. Um, I recently heard a quote. Gosh, I have terrible recall, recalls for quotes these uh, this morning. I'm just uh, you're on the spot. <laughs> I'm on the spot. I'm on the spot. Um, uh, but I heard a quote that behind, you know, show me someone that is filled with rage, and behind that rage, I will show you a diehard optimist. Hmm. Well, I found I found that to be really interesting and counterintuitive, mm-hmm. and, and I think what they were saying is that is that a lot of our happiness, a lot of our sense of self satisfaction as people. Um, is is really sort of a function of our expectations about the world around us. Mm-hmm. And what happens with optimists, and I know because I am one, and this is this is true for me, uh, you know, hopefully not too filled with rage, but it's uh, <laughs> um, um, 
I take it out on your saxophone. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Play a ripping solo. Um, uh, but it's like, uh, you know, if you constantly see the world as like, everything's always going to go right all the time and it's going to be amazing and fantastic and stupendous and, you know, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to start a new band and within three months we're going to be playing, you know, right. you know world-level venues. Um, you're going to be disappointed all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, the, the human mind is structured in a way that it, it, it deals a little bit more poorly with disappointment than it does with, um, you know, sort of setting mundane expectations yeah. to begin with. Like, we'd rather be pleasantly surprised than horribly disappointed. Mm-hmm. I, and as a result, you know, if you look at what musicians are like, we're constantly creating, we're very, I mean, you almost have to be sort of an optimist to create art. Yes. You're creating something beautiful. You're going out there and you're, you're doing something very meaningful. Um, and in doing that, it's a real labor. And I think as soon as when you put your stuff out there, whether it's that people don't like it or they don't resonate with it or, you know, your career's not going the way it, you want it to or you're not meeting your own expectations, that's one I fall into all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't meet your own expectations for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it can be very lonely and alienating. Mm-hmm. And this is why you sometimes see those elements of, you know, negative mental health and, and maybe even in some extreme cases, you know, a, a trauma response, mm-hmm. um, you know, people that are, that are, you know, they're, they're almost traumatized by, by the cyclical nature of their lifestyle. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the sad upside to that is that you make some incredible art out of that, yes. out of those feelings. Yeah. But then if you fall back into that cycle again, right. it, it's, it's just as, you know, we start all over again. And mm-hmm. I think that's really, really alienating. Um, I personally believe that the community is one of the antidotes to that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not to say that all of all of our personal growth resides in other people, um, but it's it's certainly you know having relationships that are genuinely supportive mm-hmm. and genuinely yeah. mutually reinforcing right. um, has been one of the fastest ways to fight and combat anxiety and depression and, and those feelings of loneliness. Yeah. And um, it's not to say it'll solve all your problems. Mm-hmm. Um, but a great community, um, you know, I mean, there's even been a lot of links that, you know, a lack of community. It's actually isolation that drives people towards addiction and compulsive behaviors more yeah. than almost anything else. Yes, all this rumination that starts to happen, all this negative thinking. Yeah, yeah. I actually just watched a TED Talk mm-hmm. on that this mm-hmm. morning, early this morning. It was oh, great. Oh, great, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's a real thing, I, I think. I mean, I, you know, I, I'd be interested to see what you both think about mm-hmm. that. Sometimes I wonder if our nervous systems are, <laughs> some of us have sensitive nervous systems, you know, where it's, sure. we're, we're picking up these vibrations, you know, music is really just, you know, another vibration, mm-hmm. just like our bodies are vibrations, yeah. even though they look solid. But, um, you know, sometimes I wonder if that's part of it that we're picking up, we're a little bit more sensitive. Um, you know, of course, that's, I'm sure that's not all the case, all, yeah. all the time the case, but I think the sensitivity and... Um, being very in touch with emotions. Uh, there's a lot of reasons to, you know, have sadness, to be sad. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world, and obviously it affects us whether we're aware of it or not. Yeah. Um, I also, you know, I think um, a lot of times people who have a lot of pain, the the way to handle that pain, I know it's certainly the case with me, you know, when I was in my 20s so long ago, that I went through a period where it was just so painful to be alive. Like, 
that, and I, I really just, I had no resources. You know, I was living in an apartment in San Francisco. I just moved here, you know, um, and was working a, you know, pizza job at $4.36 an hour. And yeah. I basically got a, you know, a, a thing of crepas and a pad. And I literally, like, stared into the mirror and drew like exactly what I was seeing, like all these dark colors around my eyes. And it was so actually comforting to like look at myself. That seems kind of strange. Is this an early selfie? Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it was analog. <laughs> exactly. But you know, just drawing. Right. It was. It, I still actually have that portrait, yeah. and I did numerous portraits like that because yeah. there was some weird part of me that just didn't right. feel like I existed. Right. It was very a strange, very dark time. But the point is to say that um, it was really the only way that I felt like I got some kind of um, release and relief. And same thing, actually, when I finally got an electronic piano in an apartment mm -hmm. a year later, I was really moving up. Um, mm, yeah, <laughs> and, you too. know, to be able to play in the middle of the night with, head with headphones on yeah. as a way of just like just completely playing whatever came through me yeah. and dealing, just being able to express it. So I wonder if there's like this part okay. of us that liked that with artists that we... Um, <laughs> I don't know. Do we feel more pain? Probably not. I don't know. Audience <laughs> members listening. Yeah. Um, I think we all to be human is to feel is to feel pain. Yes. You know, basically. But um, and the you know the last thing I want to say about mm -hmm. that, and I'm really looking forward to hearing what you have to say too, Daniel. Um, is that I do think that it can be really lonely as an artist. That especially like when you're, you know, practicing, there's a lot of work actually that goes on behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, I started to notice for myself that I was really lonely. And I actually decided that my level of productivity that I was going to value the most was developing friendships mm -hmm. that were really mutually enjoyable and mutually satisfying. Yeah. And so I invested, I have invested and I'm continuing to invest mm -hmm. in these kinds of friendships, which is really, 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 really the best thing ever. Now, I know a lot of people, you know, they grew up in high school, they continue to have their high school friends or people, it come, has come very naturally for a lot of people. For me, it didn't. And, you know, my whole career as a yoga teacher was basically I adored my students, but those are my students. You know, I mean, still to this day, if I see someone, I just, I feel such affection for them and warmth, but that is different than having, you know, a friend. So I, I, yeah, that really helps. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> you said so many great things, Jill. I don't, I don't know where to start with that section of the conversation. Um, it did. It did really fascinate me that you did those uh, portraits of yourself, mm. sort of how you were feeling. I think there's a certain power in like um, being able to define something that isn't quite understood for us. Mm -hmm. A lot of people with you know certain diseases or something going on, the minute they hear what it is, there's a certain just okay, we're able to actually like visualize what's going on, mm -hmm. and we have like a sense of what it is that's affecting us instead yeah. of it being a mystery. I think there's a lot of power behind that. Solving mysteries in mm -hmm. a sort of yeah um, way like that, but I guess one thing I wanted to say is like you know wh whoever's listening right now, whatever stage in life you are, like because I see people in my life right now going through this similar thing of like lack of community is a huge uh, detriment to their health, you know, mm -hmm. um, and 
actually very much in sort of art communities locally too. Um, there's this is outside of music, but there's some other like artistic communities that seem to be lacking a little bit more, or perhaps haven't been found <laughs> by some people that I know. And it's just like, you know, um, wherever you are in life, just don't be afraid to ask for help because mm-hmm. I see a lot of people that are too afraid to do that, and yeah. more often than not, people will be there for you. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's a hard thing to do as a human to ask for help. It's a weird feeling. I'm not good about it either. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think any of us really are, but don't be afraid to do that. I think because there's a lot of people in whatever situation you are probably in a similar boat too. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to say that. Um, Thank you, Daniel. Yeah. And <laughs> as far as like, there's a weird Hollywood thing with being like a solo person. Like, yeah, I can do everything on my own. I don't need anyone, you know? Mm-hmm. That's a very like lone wolf Hollywood sort of thing. But right. I don't think we're wired that way either. I think, you know, since the dawn of humanity, we've been structured to work together in order to, you know, survive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's absolutely in our DNA. Absolutely. So being around people, creating together, mm-hmm. you know, doing things together, even mm-hmm. if it's not the exact same thing, at least talking about what you're up to, you know. Yeah. Even that small amount of community is super helpful. I agree. And really being able to share openly about our feelings, what kind of emotions yeah. we're experiencing, the kind of thoughts. And also, I think, you know, actually I was... It's kind of interesting. I had a fr- I met a friend um, through Instagram, and and she had actually put word out that she was struggling publicly, <clears throat> and I reached out to her, you know, and DM'd her, and we have become friends now. And she comes over and hangs out, and um, anyway, but one of the things that so that's a wonderful thing. Absolutely, it's really yeah. really wonderful and I am just enjoying this new friendship but I also am aware that sometimes when we're on the receiving end and this has been discussions I mean this is I know this from um, both directions but um, but sometimes when somebody reaches out to us uh, we won't know how to respond um, and someone actually asked me this question the other day you know that a friend, was really struggling and this person didn't know how to respond to their friend. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so that's an interesting thing. Sometimes our friends, well, and, and so what I suggested is maybe you can, you can, we can even ask if we're the person struggling. I mean, if we're the person listening, um, we can ask that person, we can say, you know, I really want to be here for you and I'm not sure what it is that you're, you know, how can I be here best for you? How can I best support you? And it might be something just as simple as being physically next to the person, just yeah. present and not saying anything. I think for yeah. me, when I've been on, when I've come to somebody and asked for help, sometimes, um, and and the person responds with um, advice, you know, or strategies that sometimes isn't helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think to be heard, just like the physical proximity of a person, a human. Mm-hmm. To be able to say what's on your mind and know that that other person is accepting you and, you know, sees the best in you. You know, we all have dark thoughts. We all have negative thoughts. And I think that we all really need sometimes a place to be able to, in a safe place, you know, air air those things. And otherwise, they kind of fester inside and we can start using drugs and alcohol and all kind of things, which then affect our brain chemistry, of course. And... You know, I'm not saying it's like that those things are are horribly bad, but when it becomes a habit, it really does start to affect our brains. And then that like makes people spiral down even more, 
you know. So um, just things to be aware of and, um, yeah. It's really interesting from... I think I think from a musician's perspective too, you know what what is um, what is performance if it's not the ultimate vulnerability? Oh God, you know? yeah, and, you and, are, and, mm-hmm. and being able to put yourself out there, totally. and put yourself. So it, it what makes it so hard to communicate some of those ideas in regular everyday language mm-hmm. um, that most musicians can do so effectively, uh, mm-hmm. you know, through a piano or a saxophone or their own voice mm-hmm. and lyrics that they've written about it, mm-hmm. um, you know. <laughs> um, it, it, it's really interesting. I, I think I think one, one of the one of the lessons that took me a long time to learn, and by a long time I mean like I've I'm only just learning this lesson now, um, is that one of the I think one of the and you said it, Jill. You know, I, one one of the things that you can do that's that's the most powerful is just to be there. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to solve anybody's right, problem, right? Because um, the chances are you can't. Mm-hmm. There's no way they they largely have to. I mean, we as humans have to become resilient. And 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 um, you know learn how to how, learn how to work through a lot of these things ourselves. Yes, but it's awfully tough to do that without support. Yeah, right. And uh, it's awfully tough to do that without a, a community of folks that's that's sort of just willing to just sit there mm-hmm. and just be with you as you're going through this mm-hmm. tough time. That's yeah. you know. I don't know if that's right for every situation, but mm-hmm. it's it's definitely something. It took me a long time to learn, yeah. you know, because mm-hmm. yeah, I'm very problem solvy, yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'll do that too. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. <laughs> well, and sometimes you know we can ask for you know I, when sometimes I would say, um, would you like some strategies, you know, to ask first? Would you like any help, you know, with some strategies? Uh, and the person might be, well, well, no, I think you know, I just need to like talk. Or whatever, but sure. some people are like, "Yes, oh my God, I'd love some ideas, like for you know, whatever." But I'm glad we're having this little mm-hmm. discussion about this. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's funny because you know, um, I don't think a lot of you know this doesn't get discussed an awful lot. Agree. You know, in in especially in entertainers, and um, and then you end up with these situations like you know, sort of the public reaction to Robin Williams, for example, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is a, a horribly sad situation. At the same time, you know, um, I feel like there's a, you know, there was almost a sense of, of utter disbelief. How could such a happy right. person mm-hmm. possibly have these kinds of sensations or these feelings about mm-hmm. about their life and, and how, they, how they chose to end their life? And it's really... Um, I always find that interesting because it's, you know, when you are an entertainer, you, you recognize how different the public and the private persona can be. Yeah. Um, and you recognize how, you know, even as, as entertainers, as we are in musicians, you know, we, we have to wear a lot of different hats. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, a lot of times mm-hmm. it's like, it's not all just, just happy smiles. Like, right. you know, we might have to wear our drama hat. We might have to wear our happy entertainer hat. We might have to wear a happy but serious hat or, you know, mm-hmm. or, or really, yes. you know, playing through lots of fast chopsy stuff kind of hat. And, you know, yeah, you know, the right. stuff we go to the woodshed to yep. figure it out. Yep. Um, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, we got to do all those different hats. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's important not to lose your real, you know, you know, your whatever you keep under your hat most of the time, yep. you know, don't lose that. <laughs> don't lose your head. Yes. Right? You know? yeah, and that's right. extremely important totally. too. Um, yeah. But that, that's, that's, if only we had the level of vulnerability yes. um, as, as artists and entertainers to be able to do that mm-hmm. in words sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, just as, you know, Jill, the person, Daniel, the person. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think sometimes being able, being the first one that's willing to express our vulnerabilities and um, can also help other people open up and feel comfortable mm-hmm. expressing their vulnerabilities. Yeah. Um, so anyway, thank you for in- engaging <laughs> on this, sure. this conversation, this part sure. of it. And now I'm gonna kind of I'm gonna go back to this other place where. I'm going to ask you, Michael, when is your earliest, look at your face, when is your earliest or what is your earliest memory listening to music? That is so easy. <laughs> nice. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was two. Uh, <laughs> um, it was um, um, my first because it was still it was still absolutely one of my first musical loves. I mean, truly, I loved this. I love this kind of music. I would listen to Pavarotti, Luciano Pavarotti. I would listen to him sing operas. I would listen to him sing Italian street songs. I would listen to him sing. That was, and one of my, 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 my grandparents, my grandfather's no longer with us, but you know, my grandparents would have, um, would have told you one of my first words was, Pavarotti sings big. And it was absolutely, I, you know, and I loved that. So I was you were two like, years old, uh, really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. And one of the greatest gifts they ever gave to me, I was like five. So and we actually went to see Pavarotti in concert. Oh I, was the, I was like the only person under like, you know, the only person under 30 there, I think. And I was five years old. Yeah, it was incredible. It was incredible. I still remember it. I still remember it. I was five years old. What did that feel like? I mean, I, like... You know, you're you're at this concert and you're five years old. Yeah, yeah. What was that like? Yes. It was. It, it felt like it felt. It was the same feeling as when I met Mr. Rogers. Mm. You know, because Mr. Rogers is from Pittsburgh as well. You know, I mean, he oh was he goodness. really was my neighbor. So I mean, it was like wow. kind of kind of neat. And you know, you can. It was quite possible to encounter Mr. Rogers as a young Pittsburgher. You know, oh and my. I and I remember when. When when I did meet Mr. Rogers, it was like, ah! you know, and when you see Pavarotti in concert, it's like, ah! you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I mean, right. I mean, here, to, and, you know, here he is singing, oh you know, God. like, you know, I and I was into it as a kid. I was yeah. like, I hope he sings finiculi finicula. Like, come on, you yeah. know, I mean, like it was ridiculous, um, you know. Um, it's, you know, the, yeah. everybody's asking, what's wrong with this kid? Um, <laughs> and then I think behind that too, you know, I mean. Uh, you know, my my dad liked a lot of like you know he he was really into rock and roll and he was into some really good rock and roll and actually the first the first thing I really connected with out of his record collection, which wasn't much later, uh, was Devo. Nice. Oh yeah. Yeah, I was super into Devo as a kid, and um, yeah, it's really funny because like I, I think I think maybe that's that's why I play different styles. Like mm-hmm. from a very early age, my my taste was extremely eclectic. Wow. Um, and you know, my grandfather was interesting. I mean, he was a he was a record producer. Um, so yeah, I very much grew up in you know, I mean, a record label was the family business. Oh. Um, you know, so really, my background was on the music business side mm-hmm. of things, and and it was it was incredible because you know he just, you know, his record collection was just I mean it was just sort of whatever floated in that day. <laughs> I mean it was incredible. He would just you know, he'd just play me everything, and I like to I like to listen. I like to dance. I like to do all <laughs> these things as a kid. Yeah, I was like really into it, but I never really thought of myself as a musician. So when when did you actually pick up an instrument, and w- did you actually want to pick up an instrument, or did somebody tell you? To, uh, did, how were your parents with all that? Oh well, tell us that's our, a, your that's origin. A, that's a more complicated story. 
Um, oh, good. I'll, I'll say this. I'll say this. Um, you know, I I grew up in a town where, um, you know, being a musician was not necessarily the most respected profession, even though we have so many great musicians from Pittsburgh. I mean, you think about the jazz players, uh, you know, Billy Strayhorn, George Benson, uh, Stanley Turrentine, uh, you know, um, just that, that came from our town. I mean, mm -hmm. really incredible. Uh, Stanley Turrentine came to a concert of mine while I, while he was still alive. It was, it was incredible, you know, uh, no pressure, uh, <laughs> oh <my laughs> no <goodness>. pressure. Um, <laughs> and, um, it, it was, it was interesting because, um, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of kind of popular resistance to being a musician in a way. Um, my grandparents encouraged it, but they, they didn't encourage it too hard. They were sort of like, you know, well, if the kid wants to do it, then that's great. But, you know, maybe you should just give something a try. Uh, and I really wanted to be a saxophone player. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then my mother went out and actually, she's like, went to the, the first band meeting and was like, she comes home and she said, I was like, did you get a saxophone? She's like, no, but I got this. And she pulls out a clarinet. Mm. And it was like expecting a candy bar and then getting a carrot. Yes. Oh you know, you're like, <laughs> you look at something like that. It's like, uh, well, oh, dear. Uh, I guess that's cool. Um, you know, so, so I, I kind of, um, you know, I, I started to play it and I realized, oh, this thing makes noise. That's great. So I started to like, you know, mess around with it. And I was, I was learning it fast. I was 10 years old and I was learning clarinet real fast. And I had a really great band director, you know, like in the elementary school mm. who was just like, you know, checking out what I was doing. He was just, he was so cool. I mean, his name was Tom Lewis and he was, uh, uh, I'll never forget this guy, you know, kind of dressed like a football coach <laughs> and, uh, you know, always a pencil behind his ear. And he said, and he was just like, why don't you try this? And he just keep giving me stuff. And I, I'd like take home a saxophone and I'd figure it out. And then I'd take home a different kind of clarinet, like a bass clarinet. I'd figure that out. And I'd wow. Dude, you know, and I was doing it, it was mostly self-directed, honestly, you know? Like, I never went to proper music school. Mm -hmm. um, I just started playing out early with a lot of different players. Well, you must have had a good ear to be able to do that. Otherwise, yeah. <laughs> Growing up with my grandfather, you, you couldn't avoid that. I think it's just wow. because, you know, he was just always so, um, he was just always exposing me to stuff. Mm -hmm. And again, I never thought of myself as a musician in those days, or like that was something that I was gonna do in any kind of professional capacity. But then I started to feel like it felt natural to me. It mm -hmm. felt good when I did it. And, you know, and then all of a sudden people were like, oh, yeah, you can, you can play. You should come play with this group and you should come play with that group. And that just, you know, and I, well, what's the group? Well, they play, I don't know, salsa music. What's that? I don't know. Well, I'll go figure it out. And like, you know, and then all of a sudden I was like, I'd hear what it was. Then I'd start listening to some salsa music. And then I'd like be I'd say like, oh, so this is salsa music. And I just I just kind of had that adaptable ear that could just mm -hmm. figure stuff out. Um, so I'd come back and I'd be like, you know, all right, you know, I'm not Paquito de Rivera, but I'm going to try. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and it was great, yeah. uh, you know. So, I mean, it was just really, you know, it was just, it's just, that's just kind of how I started. And, you know, wended my way through a whole bunch of different styles. And, uh, you know, and now I'm at the point where if somebody says, hey, would you like to play with this group? And it's something different. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, I, I accept that 
you know. It. I accept that with alacrity. I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I have never played, you know, whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, Sub-Saharan African funk before. Let's <laughs> yeah. do it. So I, cool. I don't know. Whatever it is. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter. Like, let's try something new. Or let's try to hybridize or fuse things together mm -hmm. that just, you know, and... Uh, you know, make something out of it. Well, know? speaking of hybridize, hybridizing and fusing things together, yeah. do you have any kind of um, musical fantasy of like collaborating with anybody in particular? Like if you could just dream up and manifest anything, like just blink your eyes and, and boom. Oh, you know, I... I have to say no because it goes against my kind of I my knew ethos. It. I knew it. I knew it. You know, like <laughs> I, I, I like to be surprised. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I, I like to be thrown under the bus. Mm -hmm. Like it's really, you know, um, I, I don't, I don't know who I would want to like really collaborate with. But you know, some of the best collaborations I've had were not the ones I expected. Yeah. You know, they're the people that found me, mm -hmm. and, and they were like, you know, or I found them, and we we're just like, you know, do you want to do a thing? Okay, and, and we'll just kind of go for it. And it's yeah. like, you know, it doesn't really, doesn't exactly make sense, you mm -hmm. know? It's like, you know, you show up and it's like, well, I've got a toothbrush and you've got a shovel. <laughs> uh, let's figure out what we can do, you know? And yeah. it, but you, you find a way to make something work. Right, and sometimes the most interesting things come out of like these limitations or yeah. unusual the pairings, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Well, I think that's, that's the, you know, true innovation really happens at the nexus of unlike things. Love you know, that. it always kind of has. Um, there's a great book that I would recommend to any artist, period. Even though it's not a book about art, it's not a book about music. It's a book about creativity, though. It's a book about innovation. Mm. It's called The Medici Effect. And um, the, uh, the, the author, uh, Franz Johansson, is uh, from Sweden. Mm -hmm. um, he very openly looks at himself as being one of those kind of groovy hybrids. You know, he's, um, he is from a... Uh, um, um, he is from a, uh, I think he's, I think he's half African, half native American and grew up in Sweden. And, um, he's this interesting hybrid of cultures and perspectives. And, you know, because of that, he's always been really open to this idea of seeing things through different perspectives and different lenses. Mm -hmm. And he recognizes some of the greatest innovations of all time, um, weren't anything that was new. They were radical new combinations of existing things. Mm-hmm. You know, my favorite example is an airplane. You know, you had the, you know, Dayton, Ohio, you had the, the Wright brothers that were basically, you know, they were mechanics. They worked on bicycles. Um, and they, um, you know, they would go down to the beach and, uh, you know, they love going down to the beach. What do you do at the beach when it's, you know, the late 1800s, early 1900s? You fly, fly kites, kite. right? <laughs> and it should be no surprise to any, of course, you know, you know, there's bicycles and there's kites everywhere on the beach and it should be no surprise to anyone that the first airplane was a bicycle kite. Right. Well, I didn't right. know that. That's what it is. That's crazy. Basically, wow. the right flyer is just a fancy kite with like a, well, really, I should call it a moped kite. It's not really a, you know, it had, mm -hmm. a, it had its own propulsion system. But it was like, yeah, but I mean, basically, it's just works on the same principles as a bicycle and, uh, you know, a kite does. You know, and, mm -hmm. and that's that's where we get, I think, some of our best ideas. Mm -hmm. Think about it musically. Like some of the coolest things I've ever heard have been these unusual hybrids of like things that used to be standalone styles and things mm -hmm. that used to be, you know, they're... Yeah. Yeah, and again, this seems like it comes out of play and, you know, chunks of time. And I'm wondering if you have any uh thoughts about like helpful principles for play. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, you got to be it starts with being open. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like I think if you if you go into the play space, we'll call it, uh the playpen. 
if you're going to go into the playpen, <laughs> right? You know, um, mm -hmm. if you have these pre-existing notions of like, um, well, what happens if I make mistakes and I have a mm -hmm. reputation to uphold and I have to play things perfectly and I have my style that I'm good at and mm -hmm. I'm going to play that and do all this other stuff. You know, I think you, you really have to leave all that at the door. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not so much, I mean, you have to recognize, first of all, that play is not just about you. It's about, it's about what you and your fellow playmates are doing collectively as a yeah. group. So this is going to be something that transcends you and it's going to be a lot bigger and it's going to be a lot more interesting. Mm -hmm. um, when you get into that kind of a situation, well, now you're, you're you know, if you're open, um, you, start to, you start to use those big ears. Mm -hmm. You have to or else you really have nothing to kind of build on. You know, it's sort of like, um, um, it's just an incredible opportunity to, uh, start to listen and then to start to do what feels natural in that moment. So you're already going to be accessing those things that you know to do well. You know, like if you have a jazz background, you might be accessing those kinds of, you know, that kind of theory and that kind of, those kinds of licks and those kinds of tonalities. Um, but, but when put in a totally foreign context, you might do them in totally new ways. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what, what matters. Mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're changing the context and your context is dependent on the other people in the room. Yeah. So the more you do that, the more you shake it up, the more it's going to push your boundaries. Mm -hmm. yeah. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Michael. One of the things that I'm hoping to do with this podcast is that Daniel and I are hoping to do um, is to talk about some subjects that are, you know, maybe not talked about that much, like we did with yeah. mental health. Yep. But, Definitely. you know, I'm also thinking about music and death mm. and, you know, grieving. And I'm wondering if you have ever had an experience where there's been someone close to you who has passed on and there was music involved in, um, you know, in some way. Uh, I have no idea what way that might be, but, um, yeah. You know, um, boy, that's a tough one. You know, it's interesting. I think the, you know, because yeah, I remember when when my grandfather died, and I thought that it was going to be this really, you know, because his his life was music. Um, I, I thought maybe that it would end up being a profoundly musical experience, either in terms of just you know, the way his passing was handled or in terms of the inspiration or all of this other stuff. You know, it's interesting. There was, there was no big, obvious, subtle, or I'm sorry, no, no big, obvious moment like that. It was all very subtle. It, it was all very much like, um, you know, recognizing that for whatever reason and to whatever extent it happened, like a legacy had already passed while he was still alive from him on to others. Uh -huh. yeah. And it wasn't just me, it was other members of my family too that, that really just, you know, that learned from him and that learned from his, you know, um, you know even just his personality, mm. um, which was very um, ebullient, very, um, I mean, he was just, I mean, he was always on. Like this guy was just always funny and always just, you know, I mean, a, a natural comedian, but also one of those spontaneous improvisers. And so he was very inspirational for me in that way because we would practice improvising together. 
but we weren't improvising music. Uh-huh. We were improvising jokes. We were improvising accents and dialects. Oh we were doing God. like, you know, play acting kind of stuff. We yeah. were telling stories where it's like, he'd start the story off and I just keep the story going. <laughs> and, you know, the joke, it's just like with a, with a solo, um, you know, jazz musicians kind of push each other to the next level. We do the same thing because we would make, we would make the stories more and more ridiculous as they went on. And right. it's like, okay, how are you going to get out of this one? You know, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. it's just fun Explain to see. This. Yeah. Right, you had, to be, you had to be ultra creative. And that's mm-hmm. the thing. It's like, you know, I think this is a great way to teach creativity to yeah. others. So, so for me, it wasn't like, it wasn't like, it was really weird. It wasn't like um, there was some big musical moment when that happened, but I did, as I guess, I guess we all can see, like, you know, um, legacies don't really pass on in a bang. They pass on quietly. Hmm. You know, so if you have musical people in your life and, and they pass on, you know, you might sense that you're picking up a torch, but the truth is you've probably been carrying it for a while. Yeah. And, and I think that's a really... I don't know. It's it's something that you don't always notice until after it happens. Mm-hmm. You know. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. It's it. You know. It's no. It's a. Um, yeah. It's not a. It's not. I don't see that as being a depressing topic at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I see that as being a really healthy topic. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, you know, because uh, that's another thing too, especially as sonic artists. You know, one of the one of the big you know one of the things that I've I've thought about occasionally is like you know if you make music and you make music and you make music, especially if you're a live musician, um, once you pass on, what endures? Well, a lot of people say, well, that's why we make recordings. Okay, but does that recording necessarily capture what happens in a live audience? Does it capture what happens in, you know, a recording is just to me a small sliver of what you contribute as a live musician. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens to all those other bits? Yeah. And, and it really makes you reflect and think about um, the fact that it is, you know, that that if you really do feel it necessary to leave something behind, what you're really leaving behind is a reverberation. You're leaving behind a vibration mm-hmm. that other people are picking up on and they're picking it up and they're carrying it forward. You know, it's almost like a, you know, like a repeater, you know, mm-hmm. like you, you know, you, you send a signal and then it hits the repeater and it, nope, yeah. you resends it and strengthens it. And I feel like people do that too, mm-hmm. you know? So when you send out those vibrations, it's much to the chagrin of people who like to measure things. It's very, very hard to measure mm-hmm. how much influence you've had as a musician. Yeah. Um, but I think everybody can point to the people that have impacted and influenced them. Yeah. And I bet if you went back to the people that you said were your influences, it would totally shock them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They would they would have no idea they had the influence that they yeah. had. I mean just are you serious? You you started playing this way because of me? Or you started playing this style because you listened to my recordings or you came to see a show when you were like, you know, 11 years old and you remember that? Like it's just, you know, it's incredible. <laughs> you know. Cool. They might be going through the show saying like, you know, oh, I can't wait to, you know, <laughs> I can't wait to get home or get to the bar and have a martini or something like that. You know, it might just be another night at the office for them. But, you know, I think even in those night at the office moments, I mean, if you're really putting yourself out there and if you're really putting yourself out there genuinely, Mm -hmm. you're going to connect with people and you have no idea the impact that can have. Mm. I love that. Mm -hmm. Michael, I've got a question for you. You bet. Yes. I want to hear your favorite melody and why. Or a favorite melody, or perhaps composer that does melodies. I want to talk melody for just a second <laughs> with you. 
favorite <laughs> melody. Yeah. Da 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 da. Very it's, nice. It's the yeah. most versatile melody I can think of. It can it fits everywhere in every possible situation. Uh, you know. So what is it about that melody? Is it the rhythm? Is it? <laughs> and where does it come from? Who is the? I, does, I don't. Ellen, I think it's Duke Ellington. Is it really? Is it? Oh no! I, I, I have no I clue. Know. I'll be perfectly honest. I don't funny. even know what it's called. Like everybody knows shaving a haircut. Da 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 da. Da, da, right. You know, salt yep. peanuts, bop, ba, da, ba, ba, da, mm. Indiana Bebop, Indiana Bebop. You know, everybody knows those like yeah. little memes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't yeah, remember. <laughs> everybody knows that meme too. I just don't know what it's called. Right, right. You know, um, yeah. favorite melody. Let me think. Yeah. Let me think. Wow. Yeah. It's one I need a second to think about. Hold on a second. Um, ooh. Give me a second. Yeah. Of course, we can edit Take your, your time. We can edit your time. Mm-hmm. It can be instant thought. Which only brings up another it. melody. Da, 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 yeah. Da, yeah. Da. <laughs> That's um, a good one. Yeah. You know, um, do you tend to like fast melodies or f- slow kind of? Um, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm a sucker for ballads. Mm-hmm. Okay, there I am a sucker for ballads. I think you can do things with ballads that are, um, uh, that are truly, truly, truly incredible. Um, there, there are. And you know, what's really funny is that is that music that I play is totally different from music that I listen to, mm-hmm. which is totally different from music that I write. It's yep. bizarre. It's really strange. Uh, you know, my favorite melodies, I'll say, I'll say this. It's like, you know, it would be kind of stream of consciousness um, because it's like there are so – it's one of those things there's almost too many to answer. Right, of course. Um, but I think about melodies, like what I, what I like about certain melodies. Yes. I yeah. li- here's what I like about melodies that are I consider to be good. I like melodies that are um, – they basically use some sort of pattern construction and deconstruction throughout. Like, you know, essentially if you're gonna if you're gonna rhythmically set up a an idea and then break it mm-hmm. and then catch people on the backside again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I actually think there's a lot of brilliant melody writing in in pop music. And I say pop music, you know, popular music going all the way back to, you know, time virtually immemorial. Uh, you know, my old Kentucky home. I mean, if you want to go back that far, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, um, also from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, believe it or not, <laughs> Stephen Foster. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, I mean, there is, uh, um, you know, you you can go back um, a long way and look at melodies over time. Uh, I, I like anything that is going to, anything that is going to take you out of the expected range. Um, so, you know, if you're going to be able to work, you know, if you're like, for example, if you're going to be able to start your melody on a tritone and, and you're going to be able to, it's like, I'm putting myself in a trap and I like to do this with improvisation too. I'm going to put myself in a trap Mm -hmm. and try to find my way out. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I, I, I remember, um, uh, when I was a younger player, I got some, some really good feedback, um, about like, you know, I want you to play a solo and every phrase, I want you to start it on the four or the six. Okay, you know, uh, of whatever chord it is. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, that's not, 
that's not a normal place to start a melody, you know? You've got to go somewhere with that to resolve it pretty quickly, or it, it sounds kind of strange. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that can take you into some really interesting arpeggiating spaces and some really interesting... Um, uh, you know, you basically find your way to the note. And I guess that's, that's, that's what another thing I like about good melodies. I think good melodies, um, good melodies don't, they don't just give it to you up front. Mm-hmm. Like I don't necessarily think a singable melody is a good melody. Um, I, I think a good melody is one that takes you to the place that it wants you to be. Mm-hmm. And it might do that again by starting in a more complicated spot, and then it, it, it's it's almost like showing somebody a new part of your house, like you know, like okay, well here we are in the back corner of the garage, and now I'm going to show you how to get to the front door. Okay, cool, and we're going to go through it. It's like oh, I didn't know you had a wine cellar. Well, you wouldn't have known that if I didn't take you this way, you know. Like okay, right. so you're getting, you know, you're going through the, you know, you're going through the house a different way you've never seen. Um, those are the kinds of melodies I like. Yeah. You like adventure. Yeah, very much so. Adventure, novelty, surprise. Let me tell you what I don't like in melodies. (laughs) How about this? This might be a better way of saying (laughs) Watch out, composers. (laughs) Watch out, composers, especially if you're composing, you know, top 40 music. Um, You know, I've noticed in a lot of like, especially in a lot of mainstream pop, um, to me, a lot of melodic writing has just kind of devolved into what I kind of think of as, as sort of like children's melodies, mm-hmm. honestly. Like when you really, like people say, oh, it's boring and it's like whatever, it's watered down. I, I almost think that they're melodies that would have made sense to like educate a child on 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 how music works. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so it's usually something that's in a very tight range, like the lowest totally. note's going to be the roots and the highest note's going to be the five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's going to be very, repetitive rhythms and you get a lot of these really repetitive syncopations like da 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 yeah oh yeah yep 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 you know, and it's just like, okay, so you've got that, you know, and that's that's a tight range plus a tight, you know, rhythmic structure that doesn't really go anywhere, you know. Um, and the thing is, you don't have to be John Coltrane. Um, I'd almost rather okay. that you're not John Coltrane. I'd almost rather that you be a little bit sparse um, and make your ideas count. Mm-hmm. Another thing, I think the good melodic ideas are confident. Yes, mm. totally. Mm-hmm. They they yeah. are. You make a strong statement. So a lot of times, if I'm starting a solo and I'm at that point of the, I'm I'm the leadoff soloist. I cannonball laterally, man. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna start with yeah. a very strong statement, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be complicated, but it's got to be strong, mm-hmm. and it has to be like you know, I'm gonna start, and and then then you're in that position again. It's like, okay, I just did that. Where do I go now? Sure. Um, <laughs> you know, and it gives you a little challenge and, and, and on-the-spot creativity mm-hmm. to sort of build from there. Yeah. Cool. So I'm sorry I don't have any real specific... <laughs> well, that's no, that that's kind of part of the podcast. We ask the question, yeah. see where it takes us. Yeah. It's not necessarily yeah. like a def- definition. You know, you don't have to answer exactly as it asked, yeah. I suppose. <laughs> I guess that's like the inverse question of like, you know, um, you know, jazz tunes, like Someday My Prince Will Come, which is, you know, it's a great melody, but it's a great melody because of the chords behind it. Mm. You yes. know, I mean, it's the, the progression is unreal in that song. Definitely. I love um, that definitely. tune. Yeah, and it's a beautiful melody too. It, yes. You know, mm-hmm. um, but it's just, it's, you know, versus what makes a melody stand out. I don't know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Magic. Yeah. yeah. Magic. Magic, yeah. Is there anything that we haven't asked you that you'd like to talk about? Mm-hmm. 
I don't know. I like to talk about everything. <laughs> I like to talk about, you know, we could talk about like, uh, I, I, I have no, I have no idea. No, I, I don't, you know, nothing, nothing specific. I'm trying to think of like, well, you know, I, I did see that you uh, have worked quite a bit behind the scenes. You were a co-producer with somebody. You actually yeah. made six albums of your own, yeah. um, six albums with the Stanton, what is it, Stanton House Band? Oh, okay. So 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 this was, all right, so this is a good story. Okay, okay this is a good story. So this is, you're going back to the days when I was working side by side with my grandfather in, oh. uh, in, in his label, which was okay. Atlanta Records. Mm-hmm. And essentially, I you know I I kind of started out as a you know project coordinator with you know as a very young guy. Like how old? It was a family business, so I probably started you know I mean I I think I started tinkering around and just kind of just helping out around like you know age fourteen or something wow. like mm-hmm. that and. You know, and I was always around the business and stuff like that. But, you know, I think I started proper working for him when I was 16, when I was proper to do so. Right. And it was like, um, um, you know, we, and I did that for several years, even into my early 20s. Um, but, you know, I would help him put together, you know, he was really sort of relaunching this label that he had started back in, I think it was 1958. Hmm. He, he, started, he started Alana Records, A-L-A-N-N-A. And um, it was named after my grandmother. Um, and, um, uh, he did a lot of like early rock and roll. You know, my, my, my grandfather was actually a, an early rocker, mm. which is really kind of neat. Um, cause he came out of the big band swing era yeah. and yet at the same time was, you know, he was, he was, you know, he was pushing, you know, early rock music. Um, I think his greatest claim to fame, the biggest song that he broke nationally, uh, was the song. I don't know if you remember the song Venus. Uh, How's it go? Venus, oh Venus. I think he broke that in hmm. Cleveland. Wow. You know, being yeah. a, I mean, because that's the thing. That's how the that's how the industry worked in those days. Like you, you you had, you know, you didn't have any centralized kind of, you know, you had no central um uh you know uh labels or distribution or anything mm-hmm. like that. I mean, you go to, you go to independent or centralized radio, excuse me. Um, you go to tastemakers and, and those tastemakers were all over the country. And, you know, he was, he was, you know, I mean, my grandfather worked for CBS Capital um, uh, and Epic uh, in its inception days, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, one of their first, if not their first uh, A&R guy, mm-hmm. uh, basically. And um, I mean, he was, he was very, very, very early um, in, in, in that industry and was living in New York and occasionally Chicago. And, you know, he and my grandmother were like, let's move back to Pittsburgh. We don't want to raise our kids in New York and Chicago. So they, they went back to Pittsburgh and there's no music industry. So he has to become an entrepreneur, basically. Hmm. <laughs> and he grew up on the streets of Pittsburgh. I mean, he was a really poor, uh, really poor guy. Fascinating story. It's for another time. But, um, you know, as he was... Um, um, you know, so I mean, he was kind of an early rocker, and he was started promoting a lot of like you know early, early like you know Rust Belt kind of rock mm-hmm. uh, back in the late fifties, early sixties. Um, he relaunched the label. I started working with him to sort of help him out behind the scenes, and you know, we ended up um, uh, eventually you know co-producing a number of those albums. Um, so, d- does that mean that you were sitting there, you know, uh, at the what you call it, the you know? Sometimes at the at the well at the, at the in the studio with the board yeah yeah yeah, studio yeah. With the board. I mean I'm I'm not an engineer we mm-hmm. had engineers mm-hmm. um, but yeah I mean it was you know the the thing nobody really tells you about being a producer is that you know we have this image of somebody that's in the studio that's like 
why don't you do a little bit more like this? And the vision's kind of <laughs> like that and yeah. all this other stuff. That is a function of a, you know, typically an associate producer, you know, mm -hmm. that is definitely something that they, they do. Um, they want to make sure it stays on target to their market is typically what they're doing, okay. you know, or they're just trying to make it sound better. I mean, mm -hmm. they, they love music too. So they're, you know, they have an artistic ear typically. So, um, but a lot of it is also running the project, putting up the money, making sure that all the, you know, basically if you can create a big long checklist and you can check off all the boxes, you can be a very good producer, but you got to stay on top of details and you have to be really good with coordinating relationships. Uh -huh. That's the real work of production. You know, so you're, you're, you got to be talking to the, I mean, you're, you know, as a label, you're talking to the artist and then you're talking to the studio and you're talking to the distributors and you're talking to the pressing plant and you're talking to, mm -hmm. you know, then you're talking to media and you're trying to get stuff out there and you're talking to, you know, and then, oh man, you know, we got to do something crazy, like get t-shirts pressed. Okay, well, how do we do that? I don't know. Let's call somebody. So, you know, you gotta talk, <laughs> and then you're calling radio stations and then you're yeah. talking to, you know, disc jockeys and stuff like that. Well, anyway, I mean, it's like, that's what I was doing with my grandfather for years, wow. you know, and we were doing all kinds of like, you know, our label became more focused around like, you know, we would call it like big band jazz, kind of easy listening. It was for an older demographic and that was fine. Mm -hmm. um, I ended up, you know, being on some of those records um, because we, uh, how do I put this? Okay, so we actually cut a record deal in London. This is great. 15 years old. I went over to London with my grandfather and we cut a record deal for a whole bunch of, um, um, it was a whole bunch of like old, there's this guy named Philip Green, who's an amazing talent as an arranger and uh, composer in his own right. And, you know, he was in the UK and he, he composed a lot of like sumptuous kind of string music for television, you know, mm -hmm. for television yeah. shows. Totally. And he had this thing, you know, he had this whole giant library and, you know, he had passed away, unfortunately. And, you know, his, his widow, who's American, um, she was living in this really gorgeous flat in Portland Place in London. And, um, you know, we went to visit and, um, you know, we, we made a deal to be able to have the rights to sort of re-release and reproduce and repackage a lot of this library in the United States. Mm. It was really exciting. So... All of a sudden, you know, we, we couldn't take it with us. We had to have it shipped over. And then when it showed up, when the library showed up, you would not believe what this thing looked like. It was boxes and boxes. I mean, it had to be sent over in a boat. And it was just boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes of old reel-to-reel -reel tapes that were chipping. And so we had to have a lot of them baked because by putting them in a kiln for a high temperature, it, it finally like, you know, re-solidifies it, re-adheres the, yeah. the, you know, the magnetic data basically to the, to the tape itself. So, you know, and then we had to have everything transferred to, to Digital Master. We had a great studio um, where we did this kind of remastering in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, you know, um, and it was, uh, um, you know, uh, we, um, and we loved working with them and, you know, we released a couple of albums based off of that library. And then finally, you know, my grandfather's sitting there and he, uh, he brings me in and he says, Hey, the Mikey, that's what he called me. He said, Hey, the Mikey. And he sounded like this too. Uh, wait, do you hear this? What do you think? And I listened to it and, um, I, you know, I just, I said, you know, it's honestly, it's kind of dull. And he said, oh, 
how could you say that about this is spectacular music? He said, it is boring, isn't it? I said, yeah. I said, yeah. I said it's just missing something. It's missing like a lead player or whatever. And yeah, you know, I don't know who had the idea first, but it came out like, why don't you create, you know, why don't you arrange parts for yourself and then become a lead player? This sounded so easy. It was one of the hardest projects I ever did. We first of all we we called it the New Stanton Band because it was named after an exit on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. We had no reason to you know right. no reason to call it anything else. Um, but it was a fantastic studio orchestra from London. Uh, actually, I think they were actually based out of Dublin. They were they were they were. I mean, it was a beautiful beautiful orchestra with some of the top pros, you know, and, and they'd recorded this music back in the late 60s, early 70s. Um, we took that music, we remastered it, we cleaned it up. I got into the studio to try to play over it. I, yeah, yeah, I very quickly realized everything was in like six, seven sharps. Um, and I'm doing this on the clarinet because it was period appropriate. Um, everything was in six, seven sharps and everything was just a bit very sharp. <laughs> and I am doing my best. And it's like, it's like almost like a quarter tone. And I was like almost there. And I was like, oh boy, it's going to be interesting. So, you know, here I am squeezing as hard as I can to try to make this work. It was easier than going the other direction. And um, trying to play with this very structured music mm -hmm. um, and trying to, to make it sound natural, like there's a mm -hmm. soloist in front of it and whatever. And really it was its own musical gig. It was like, you know, I'm... I'm I'm trying to put feeling into this yeah. really great classic standards music. Yeah. And then the album came out and it was called The New Stanton Band featuring Grand Island Casino features the New Stanton Band uh, with Michael Fortunato. And we were like, well, whatever. We'll see how it goes. It sold tons of copies. Oh my gosh. Internationally even. Wow. And we were like, how exciting. What? <laughs> then we got back together and you know my grandfather was like, "The Mikey." <laughs> We got to do more. I was like, "What? <laughs> this is crazy." Wow. So we did. So we we ended up doing uh, we ended up doing five of those albums together, and and it was great. And you can still you know it's still playing on Sirius XM Radio. It's still playing you know nationally. We have uh, uh, you can get it on Amazon.com. You can go out and see stuff online. It's it's out there. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. How could, how should we link that uh, music? Let me think about it and find okay. the best way to do that. Okay. There I'll are some that. very, there are some pretty embarrassing things. You know, the tough thing is that by the time we got to the fifth album, um, that's the one that everybody plays. And it's, by that time, we were basically out of ideas. <laughs> it was my least favorite album. It was all about, it was called This Then Was Paris. And it was all like Parisian music. And it just didn't, oh, I did not. But we recorded it all over the place. We recorded one in Vegas. Uh, my favorite was called Ballads. We recorded it in Las Vegas um, with a guy named Charlie Schaefer, who's a very famous piano player. Mm -hmm. um, I was actually featured on Anthony Bourdain's show oh, uh, nice. at one point with his daughter. Um, so he's a pretty major. He was a Liberace stand-in uh, in, uh, back in Vegas. He has a beautiful studio. Uh, so we recorded with uh, with Charlie, who was also on our label at one time. And um, we had we had we just had a we had a really marvelous time making those albums. But it was just a is a whole story. It was like incredible yeah. how the those even came to wow. be. So that was, I was a different player then. I mean, that, that ended when I was about 23 years old. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, now I've played so much more with so many different people. I'm a totally different person. I'd approach it completely differently. And, you know, but since then I've played with a lot of, gone into the studio with a lot of other bands and, you know, some are, some of those albums aren't as famous and, you know, they didn't get the distribution, but, you know, they're, they're, I love them just as much. And mm -hmm. I thought they were wonderful and I'm astonished the talent that I've been able to play with. Uh, you know, the people that I've been able to support on their albums. It's incredible. That's fabulous. Yeah. 
long-winded story. Love it. You can sure. chop it Good if one. you want. No. <laughs> oh, there's no chopping. But it's a fun story, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I have to tell you both, it has been a huge, huge pleasure to be there, to be here, and to be. it's been a real honor to be on your podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, thank you so much for the invitation. This oh. has been great. Thank you so much, Michael. It was a total blast. Yeah, it's always a blast so hanging delightful. out with you. Yeah. And, so much fun. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I yeah. didn't even get to do too many <laughs> silly voices, no. you know? I was just like, really? <laughs> 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 and on next week's podcast. <laughs> if you need voice actors, uh, yeah, yes. find Michael. What's, what's hard to find. <laughs> what, is it, what is Oh, thanks. Yeah. I, oh, I, hey, I would love to do more voice acting. Yeah. That would be fantastic. Okay. So all y'all out mm. there that, uh, you know, are willing to give me a shot, I, you know. Um, oh, cool. I'd, I'd, I'd be, I would love to do that kind of work. Neat. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I, that's something new that I've just yeah. learned about you. Wow. Absolutely. One of the many things. Yeah. <laughs> Even if you need a sultry DJ. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Yeah. We're so glad you're here. Wow. <laughs> oh, man. Can we Versatility. <laughs> Listen back to go. that in the edit. Yeah. <laughs> or a not sultry DJ. You know, you need whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh. Well, thank you again, Michael. It's just been an absolute pleasure and a delight to have you on. Thank you. It's been great to be here, Jill. It's been great to be here, Daniel. Thank you so much oh, no, again for you, having me. Thank you, Michael. Thank you very much. As always, yeah. Oh, so much fun doing this. Okay, well, I think we're going to wrap it up today. Um, thank you guys for tuning in. Obviously, without you, this wouldn't be much. It'd be three people talking in a room, which is, of course, brilliant, but having you as part of it makes it worth it. So mm-hmm. thank you so much. Thank you. We'll tune in next week. See ya. See you later.